Hey there, welcome to Football with Grant Wall. Thanks so much for joining me. Before we get going, you can sign up for a free or paid subscription to my writing site at grantwall.com. We are less than one month away from World Cup 2022, so sign up now. That's grantwall.com. Let's bring in Chris Whittingham from South Florida. How are you, Chris? Doing all right, sir. How are you in New York? I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay. It's um, it's getting dark, it seems like, uh, as earlier in the day. I know we had a time change coming up, but uh, I do better in the summer. More light, just you and better me both. in general. I like, I like waking up when and the sun is out. I like the sun being out past 7 p.m. You feel that? more acutely in New York than I do in South Florida. Sun is still out as we're recording this, but uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm very much a creature of, of light. Most definitely, man. I like candles this time of year too. Do mm. you guys talk about candles together much? Probably not, but what, what are your favorite scents? <laughs> My wife gets the candles. I don't, I don't worry about the scents. I just like having a candle on <laughs> uh, and lit this time of year. It makes me feel cozy. Chai does as well, if you want to go down that mm. road. Um, there's a lot going on in the soccer world. It seems like October and early November, the club soccer wor- world is trying to get as much done as humanly possible before the World Cup break. And so um, Champions League is taking place in six over nine weeks, uh, six match days over nine weeks. And, and they're going to be in New York, the studio this week. So that should be interesting. Uh, from CBS's perspective. Uh, And then it seems like there's just big games all the time at club level. Let's start with Chelsea Man United. 1-1. Big week for Man United, I would say, for a number of reasons here. Obviously, they got results on the field. They won against Spurs midweek, got a late point, which I think they deserved against Chelsea. And this was the week that Eric Ten Hag dealt with Cristiano Ronaldo in a way that I think might start the end game of Cristiano Ronaldo at Man United, where Ronaldo refused to go onto the field toward the end of the Spurs win, pulled a Scottie Pippen, and then walked off toward the tunnel before the game even ended and was suspended by the team. Ronaldo was not part of stuff around the Chelsea game. He did not train with the the first team for a couple of days, I think. And and the team did just fine in a big week getting four points against tough opponents. What do you think is bigger, the results this week or the Ronaldo situation? I think they are somewhat related in that I think this was sort of the week that Eric Ten Hag was able to establish himself as not really needing Cristiano Ronaldo because when you put in the sorts of performances that they have early this year at home against Liverpool, against the big teams, against Tottenham, other than the Manchester City performance, which was a disaster, uh, again this weekend against Chelsea. If you think about from his individual standpoint, he forced Chelsea into a first-half tactical substitution because his system was overwhelming his opponents. And I thought that was a really big deal for him. And I think it was also big that they played Spurs off the park Ronaldo tries to make himself the story at the end, but really all it proves is just how much he's not really needed for me. It dominates the headlines because he's such a big figure. He's one of the greatest footballers in the history of the game. Some might argue the best in the history of the game. And I understand why he commands so much attention, but I think for this Man United season, 
I don't really think he's that important of a figure anymore. I think the development of Eric Ten Hag as a manager, the development of Manchester United under his stewardship is more important. I think the performances that they put in this week were really impressive. I think they probably should have gotten all three points out of the Chelsea match. They were pretty unlucky not to finish that that off with the win, despite the fact they, they trailed late and they got a late goal. I just thought they were the better team over the course of the 90 minutes. They were by far the better team over the course of the 90 minutes against Spurs. I thought they competed very well against a Newcastle team. And maybe you can say, well, they should be beating Newcastle at home, but that's a difficult team to play right now. So I think it's more about what he's establishing more than the Ronaldo storyline. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Uh, and, and I like what United's doing right now. You know, just the way they're playing on the field. This wasn't a great game, by the way. For it, it got wasn't. exciting toward the end, um, and yet it was also, and you alluded to this, tactically sort of interesting uh, in how one coach would make a decision, and then the other coach would counter, and then one coach would make a decision, the other coach would counter, and so that part, I guess, was tactically interesting even if the game wasn't necessarily and we'll see where Rafael Varane is if he's actually going to be severely hurt he did not respond well to a non-contact injury we're close to the World Cup and would be a real bummer not to have him involved if you're France but um, yeah it's it's a it's a weird situation right now because there's a lot of teams that are in the discussion in the Premier League even the top four top six and I'm not sure what to think of them. I don't know how good they are. Man United's one of them. Spurs is one of them, most definitely. Uh, I still think Man City is the best team in the league, but uh, they made up some points on Arsenal this weekend. Um, and so there's just a lot that's up in the air, and I don't know if we're going to get any real final answers by any means before the World Cup break. But let's talk about some other games here. You've got Leeds United 2, Fulham 3. Jesse Marsh could be in trouble here. Um, And a home loss to Fulham after a road loss to Leicester. And a lot of people are saying that he really needed points from these two games this week. It has been a long time since that win over Chelsea, which was the last win in the league for Leeds. What was your sense of this game? My sense of this game was... It taking a familiar pattern to, I think, what we've seen a lot from Leeds this season, which is they at times dominate, they score the first goal, and then they concede one. I thought they conceded pretty bad goals today in terms yeah. of the mistakes that that led to the goals, although you have to give huge credit to Fulham and what they've done this season. They're in the top seven when everyone had them down before the start of the season. Although I, <laughs> I'm i trying to recall, in our preseason predictions, did I say that I, I think that Fulham would somehow stay up this time? You I did. feel like I did. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but either way, I think when it comes to leads, for me, it's the mistakes they make at the back. They happen every game. They you you cannot count on them to make clean sheets. And I thought Phil Hay, who covers leads for the Athletic, had a very good observation in that they really struggle playing the ball from deep from from out from out of the back. Right. A lot of teams are very good. You can see their defined patterns. Hell, leads were very good at this under Marcelo Bielsa. As much as we talk about. The intensity and the man-to-man marking, a hallmark of Marcelo Bielsa's play, is an incredibly coordinated attack and, and a coordinated buildup. And every passer has an outlet. The, the next pass is obvious. 
And I just don't think that is the case with Leeds. And that's by design. I, they're not a team that's designed to play out from the back. Some of those defenders have so much previous with it, they do it sometimes. But I almost wonder if Jesse Marshall just sort of rather they knock it long because it allows them to press and counter-press. The whole thing is based on pressing and counter-pressing. And again today, they had chances. Patrick Bamford had one where he was in, in on goal, didn't finish. He's been really profligate in front of goal. And I think there are other Leeds players that have not put away their chances. And again, today, you look at the XG, there isn't a huge difference between the two teams, but Leeds do not have a way of controlling matches. And so when they have a lead, they're at risk of giving it up. And when they're behind, they don't ever really have a strong enough foothold in the game to create the big enough chances that they need to go and win matches. And so... I just feel like when when things start going like this in the Premier League, they only keep going one way until the manager gets changed. And I don't know if Jesse Marsh is going to have the backing from Leeds. He said that he had that he has the backing from Leeds, but he's unfortunately not a reliable narrator in that respect. And I wonder if there is just going to be a point at which the players say, well, I know you're leaving, so I'm not going to put more in for you. And this gets worse and the player's confidence gets lower and lower until they eventually change the coach. Yeah, it's it's an interesting one because we don't really know what the situation is right now between Jesse Marsh and, and the board. They're the people that would make a decision on staying or going. You know, we know what Marsh has said publicly. Um, and we're, we're recording this at 5 p.m. on Sunday. He's still there. Um, and so um, at this point, yeah, he's the coach. So you know, we'll see at what point people like Victor Orta, his boss, or the owner of the team, at, at what point might they say, you know, say something publicly, give them a vote, the dreaded vote of confidence, um, and how much impact do the fans have? Because the fans' chants are not positive right now about Jesse Marsh. They're not positive about the directors at Leeds United. They're not happy. They are in the relegation zone now for the first time this season. They've gotten two points out of a possible 24 uh, in the league uh, since the Chelsea win. Obviously, no wins in that. And um, it's tough times right now. And 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 the Americans... Then their Premier League run, by the way, forgive me, uh, before the World Cup, it's at Liverpool, at, uh, excuse me, home Bournemouth, and away at Spurs before we break for the World Cup. And then they come out of the World Cup break with home with Manchester City, away at Newcastle, and home with West Ham. That, mm. and like, like this was this was the time. Early in the season was the time for him to get points on the board and, and get himself a solid footing, and he hasn't. Yeah, it's it's tough, man. Uh, things can go south fairly quickly in the Premier League, and, and he knew that coming in. But it would be tough if Jesse Marsh has two straight seasons in top European leagues where he doesn't last the season. Um, and obviously he can, I think he can always come back and get a job in, in MLS. I don't think he would be out of the realm of us men's national team coach at some point, but man, it's tough. It's tough over there. And, and I think he's felt, uh, some, you know, he's felt the pressure, um, of, of what you go through over there. And I, and I am very clear with everyone. Like I'm not a disinterested party here. I'm friends with Jesse. I went to college with him and I, I watch every Leeds game. And you could see his reactions today during that game. That was rough. Um, yeah. And and you're right. The goals that were conceded by Leeds were not good goals to concede. And, and too many players left open. 
who were dangerous, who finished, and even not doing well on set pieces. Uh, usually there's a pretty positive uh, plus minus for Jesse Marsh teams when it comes to attacking set piece goals and defending set piece goals. And that's not the case um, this season with Leeds. So we'll see, um, you know, um, who was it? Uh, I think it was John Muller, the, uh, the athletics, very good data guide trying to make the case that it's not a crisis when you look at the data, but at a certain point, people don't, Look at the data. Yeah, and and people, it, this happened with Aston Villa, right? And while their data wasn't very good, um, eventually these things just sort of gather momentum in Europe. And you can make all kinds of arguments about XG and all that stuff. And I, I think Carl Anka of the Athletic uh, had had a reply, and I I agree with him. Despite the fact that he took a little bit of stick for it, I, I do think that these things just sort of have a slippery slope gather momentum where it just feels like the only exit, the only release valve for these sorts of moments is the manager loses his job. And that is unfortunate, right? And I think players have started to recognize that and they might start to think, well, if he's going to go, then, you know, I don't, why do I have to listen to him and all that stuff? And I think the culture of sacking managers is probably not one that is terribly productive for football really across the world. But this just feels like when you don't get a result in eight straight matches, there's only one way that that ends up going. And that ends up going with the manager leaving. So I, I I hope that he's given another chance and they pull off a miraculous result away at Liverpool and all of a sudden he turns things around and finds stable footing again. But the route towards stable footing for Jesse Marsh appears very long right now. So I think he's got a big job on if he sticks around for next weekend to try and get something from away at Liverpool. I know they're playing Champions League and that might be able to help, but you know, having rest advantage on your opponent has not helped Jesse Marsh before they played Arsenal after Europa League that didn't help. So I, I I do think that this is a really tough team to watch right now, despite the fact that there are times they look pretty decent going forward and they look like they can summon the energy and the pressing and all the Jesse Marsh traits. They still don't manage to put it together often enough to really feel like they're going to you know c- come through this, come through this difficult patch and put together a run of four or five straight wins. What do we think of Tim Ream, by the way, who? has captain Fulham basically all season. They're in seventh place, had another good performance today to win at Leeds. Um, and major questions, obviously, about Aaron Long, in particular in the U.S. Central Defense. Is Tim Ream the guy? Should he not only be on the U.S. team for the World Cup, should he be starting at the World Cup? Well, considering the other options, I, I think you'd have to at least consider him. I, I, it's sort of funny, right? Because on form, there's no question. But we have seen Tim Ream play for the U.S. before, and I think he's sort of been the 11th out of 11, meaning he's the player where when he's on the field, like, oh boy, like, are, are you sure you want him out there? I will say, though, I don't think Greg Berhalter has ever looked at him as a player that can play as the left of a back four for him. And even when we've seen him, I remember in the Nations League, uh, in the Nations League finals, he played him as an out-and-out left back with Serginho Desta on, on the right. He's played him in the left of a back three, but never as the left of a back four. And I wonder if that might be right. That, that might be why Tim Ream has struggled in a U.S. shirt. I also completely understand the pace concerns, but game after game after game, Tim Ream is putting in performances against 
the highest level players where you wonder, wait a second, why why isn't he being picked ahead of players who are struggling in MLS, ahead of other players? I think he absolutely should be on the plane. For, for There's no question about that, in my view. And if he's left off and other players are let off, then you're left wondering, well, what is the decision-making here? Is it purely based off national team performances? Because... I don't even think Aaron Long merits being on the plane if we're basing it off national team performance. It's just sort of whatever Greg Berhalter thinks is essentially the 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 method for how players are being picked right now. It's really interesting, though. But like, I agree that Tim Ream with the national team has certainly been up and down, and at times over time, I think was sort of unfairly treated by U.S. fans. But the Tim Ream that if we make a an apples to apples comparison, the Tim Ream that we've seen in the Premier League this year is not the same Tim Ream we've seen in the Premier League in previous seasons when Fulham has been in the Premier League, where you're like, oh, you know, he's a, a good championship defender, but then when Fulham gets promoted, he's not very, he's not good enough in the Premier League. That's not true this season. Tim Ream has been good in the Premier League this season. He is captaining Fulham, a Fulham team that is doing well. And, and so that for me says a lot. I think the Tim, if a Tim Ream that is playing well in the premier league goes to the world cup, why shouldn't he do well at the world cup? Well, the only reason I think you would say, I'm just being a devil's advocate here. I think you should be on the plane to me. The devil's advocate argument is that wouldn't these 12 games then be the outlier that if he hasn't really been great in the premier league in previous stops, and he has he's been an up and down performer for the national team then are you going to allow 12 games be the reason why your mind gets changed it's an admittedly smaller sample than the other two now i think you have to give marco silva a lot of credit because i actually don't think that marco silva would he would probably rather have a different left sided center back than tim ream and he's making this work and you want you you sort of ask yourself well if Marco Silva can make it work, then why can't Greg Berhalter make it work? Marco Silva has probably made adjustments to his system to allow this team that has generally come up from the championship and been hammered back down to the championship in the Premier League, what adjustments has he made to allow for that to happen? And so that for me would be the thing is that if Greg Berhalter doesn't want to compromise and wants to you know, continue to play the same way than he has in, in, in previous games, then maybe he can't have Tim Ream. Whereas if he's prepared to make adjustments, then I think... There's clearly a world in which Tim Ream can thrive because he's doing it right now. Let's talk about other U.S. men's national team players in Europe. Big weekend for Gio Reyna. I was so happy to see him score his first goal for Dortmund since I think it's August of 2021. So more than a year had passed. Took a nice goal. He started the game and... His ceiling is so high. There's so much variability with these US, these young U.S. players, including the U.S. team, I think, as a result. But man, Gio Reyna could be a real player, like something that we haven't seen from an American player. And it's all about getting him on the field, getting him in the right frame of mind. And I just hope he gets that opportunity. But if he's playing like he did this weekend, probably should start at the World Cup and can make a big impact at the World Cup. Well, are, are we now getting into a, to a space where we're saying about too many players that they have to start in the World Cup? Who, where, where, we're starting 15 I, I guess, players, right? <laughs> <laughs> who, who, who would you drop so that Reyna could start? I mean, it's probably Brendan Aronson, right? But 
was Brendan Aronson in the ideal 11? I thought the ideal 11 was the midfield was McKenny, Moose, and Adams, and the front three was Pulisic, Weah, and Striker X. I mean, that's a, there's a big question, right? Is Weah going to be available and ready? And the Tim Weah we're seeing right now is coming on as a sub for Lille and having an impact in some games. But if he's not starting ever, do you start Tim Weah for the U.S.? I, I've seen the the arguments as well that you start Weah ahead of Aronson with the U.S. because Weah actually produces goals and assists in a way that Aronson doesn't as much. Um, and I I get the the Tim Weah people out there who, even though he's had very little club time this season, think he should be starting out there. But like most people also think Pulisic should be starting. And so if Pulisic starts on one of the wings, what do you do for the other wing? Aronson, Weah, Reyna. And to this point, most of the time, the injury situation has basically made that decision. Right. And and that, by the way, that might happen again, which is the unfortunate part of the, the Reyna conversation. You mentioned getting him on the field. I sort of have concern <laughs> if he gets on a run of form for Dortmund and they start starting him in every match. I, I just get concerned. They've had too many of these flare-ups where he looks incredibly emotionally devastated walking off the field. I just hope there are no injury hiccups between now and the start of the World Cup. And Dortmund have a Champions League campaign that they're still in the middle of before they get to the World Cup. So they're playing every three days, every three days, every three days. And I, you mentioned the Varane injury earlier. That, for me, was the thing that was on his face was, right. oh, shit, I think the World Cup might be gone for me. And that that would be really devastating for him. And, and it would be really devastating for Reyna. But to, to get back to the USA question, I think, first off, I, I disagree with the notion that either Reyna or Aronson can be picked from the start in midfield. We haven't seen that very much. I think it's, again, that's injury necessitated. But I would kind of like to see, for me, McKenney is probably the player who, despite the fact that he scored recently, I think if his performance is for the U.S. for me, would signal that Aronson uh, should should at least get a chance to start in that midfield. But I would actually still go Reyna, uh, uh, Weah, excuse me. I think yeah. in qualifying, I remember as well in the game that they played the friendly against Morocco, I thought Weah was very good in that game as well. His performances for the U.S. jumped up a level. I actually at one point asked myself, I wonder what 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 Wea's growth pattern is going to be. I didn't think it was strong enough uh, for a long time. And then he puts together this run of performances that I thought were exceptional. So I think Wea should get, I think he offers the best contrast with Pulisic in terms of what they offer. He offers running in behind, which we saw during the two friendlies uh, in Europe this past go-around. They didn't have enough of. Wea has running in behind in him. They need that. And so I actually think that Reyna, especially because of his fitness issues, merits being a super sub. Yeah, I could lean toward that. I, I feel like also Berhalter started Reyna in both games and he pulled, came off in the first half of one. And so there is a desire from Greg Berhalter to start Gio Reyna. Uh, I feel like he's actually been less careful with Reyna than Dortmund has <laughs> when it comes to putting him back out there. So... Um, I probably would lean, well, it's, a, you, you've actually convinced me that I would lean toward Reyna as a super sub, if everyone's healthy, someone who could start if need be. Um, I do think Aronson's going to be an interesting one. Um, if you, if you have to choose between two wingers from Aronson, Wea, Pulisic, right? 
Um, you know, and, and, and that's, that's going to be a tough choice. At least I would say this, that right now, knock on wood, the, the important, most important U.S. players that need to be healthy for the World Cup are healthy. You know, and it, it's, it's one thing, like you look at Pulisic, I know, I know. Um, <laughs> doing it, doing it for the both of us. And, but like, at least, you know, Pulisic, I get the frustration of he hasn't had that many minutes. He's only had one start for Chelsea since the international break. And he scored in that game and then had two straight DNPs and hasn't been starting recently. So even though he created the, the you're in the corner kick uh, against United that led to the penalty. Uh, so he did bring something to the table. He's actually brought something to the table for Chelsea the last couple of games, I think, when he's come on. Uh, the point I would make, I guess, is, yes, it would be nice if Pulisic were playing more, but at least he's not hurt. <laughs> is, that, is that a low bar? Yeah, I mean, it, it is a low bar, but I, again, I feel the same way about Reyna. I kind of hope he doesn't play very much between now and the, or not start very much between now and the World Cup because it's way more important that he's available than he's in this sort of rip-roaring form. Now, I do think, getting back to your early, uh, earlier point about him being able to bring something that the U.S. has never produced before, I think there's just that level of talent as an attacker that he and Pulisic have that over the course of the next four years, it is partially the job of the U.S. manager, but also partially responsible on their club coaches and their club environments to continue to further that. So on the role of the player, it's about picking the right club. I think for Reyna, that's going to be very specific because I am sort of curious on a larger level, what is his position? What is the way that he's going to grow? Is he a number 10? Is he a winger? Is he a midfielder that can create as well as defend? Is he kind of a false nine striker? There are a lot of questions for me when it comes to what Reyna is in the future. And I think Pulisic has to find a much better club situation than the one that he's in. And I imagine that will probably be priority number one after the World Cup is if it's taking a slight step down, but you start every week, that might be where he has to go because I, I don't think the you know fifth or sixth attacker at Chelsea which he's been basically for three years now, has really helped his growth a ton. No, I agree with that. It's also been very good, I think, for Tyler Adams and Brendan Aronson to basically start every game. I know Adams didn't, had a knock, minor knock, I'm told, uh, this weekend. But if Jesse Marsh were to not be there, I would I would say that Aronson and Adams have still been two of Leeds' best players this mm-hmm. season. And, and two of their Ironmen, who seem to play a ton of minutes. So... Um, yeah, it, it's it's it feels like certain U.S. players, though the really important ones, need to be on the field, and, and Pulisic's one of them. And so, we'll see how that shakes out. I do want to talk about MLS playoffs. We are recording this before the Austin Dallas game on Sunday night, but we did have a game already today. Montreal hosts New York City and loses three one counterattacking extravaganza for New York City, taking advantage of their chances. And kind of a a neat story in Montreal ends. Oh man, I was so sad. And <laughs> I, I was I was watching this uh through a very pro Montreal prism, mainly because I just love the way that they play. And I thought, you know, New York City gets the early goal. Maxi Morales takes advantage of a mistake from a set piece. It's a straightforward finish for him. And then Montreal sort of goes about trying to chase a goal. And I thought from minute 10 to minute 45 of the first half, they were sensational. And Kai Kamara should have scored on a great cross in from Alistair Johnston. There was another great 
crossed in ball for Ismail Kone, which he forces Sean Johnson into into a tremendous save. And Sean Johnson was brilliant. Speaking of U.S. players, he's another one who might have uh, confirmed his place on the plane to Qatar uh, with his performance today for NYCFC. He was brilliant. Um, But you just saw Montreal going through their patterns and they kept going and going and going. And then I like audibly said, oh no, because I I saw Morales leading a break on a counterattack. It was 3v2. And the thing about, I saw NYCFC in person on Monday night at City Field, and I saw them obviously in large portions of this game. They have the, the, the clinicality. They have the quality going forward. Anton Tinnerholm is a great addition for them just before the playoffs. He's finally fit. And all their attackers know exactly what they're doing. And you sort of knew that they were going to find the right ball. And it was a great ball into Bear, who's become a great finisher again. He was, I think, two or three years ago for NYCFC. Then Tati Castellanos took his job. Then Tyus Magno took his job. And now because Magno got hurt, Ebert has his job again, and he scored two goals in two playoff games. So you, you can just see how NYCFC have a formula now to keep going. The impetus might not be for them to score uh, yet again in this next playoff match against Philadelphia. They can maybe absorb some pressure on the road and then hit on the break. I think that's going to be a great Eastern Conference final because what they did in that game was a professional, experienced playoff performance. Yeah, I mean, obviously big difference this year, you would think, is that Philly will not have a ton of COVID cases that will keep them from fielding anywhere close (laughs) to their best team. Yeah, you'd certainly hope not. Um, Philly ends up, tough game against Cincinnati. They end up winning 1-0 deservedly against a tough Cincinnati team that I think is going places, which is not something I would have said in in previous years about Cincinnati. Um, But this union team seems to have different ways they can beat. Flack ends up getting the goal and he's not usually a scorer, but a lot of just, they're just so solid in so many places. The only thing that concerns me is I do think their attack is a little too chaos based. And I know that, they sort of have a very red bully style of play and it's not completely that but i thought in particular that first half was pretty agricultural from both teams it was not exactly the beautiful game it was not uh, a ton of chance creation i thought it took until the second half for that game to to find a bit of rhythm and a bit of flow and i still i know that philly went through a patch of the season where they could not stop scoring goals but there are certain moments in bigger games when they go up against teams that are tight. It just sort of feels like their goals, I would say, come from random occurrences rather than beautiful bits of play. And I know that the the, the build up to the goal was was pretty decent, and Flock pulls a finish. <laughs> you know, I think he's only scored one goal for Philadelphia in two seasons, and this was his second. And where the hell did that finish come from? But I, I just sort of, I, I I I'm left a little wanting when I watch Philly. I actually. I'm going to pick NYCFC to go to the final yet again. I think they're going to go on the road and beat this Philadelphia team. I just haven't been terribly convinced by them, despite the fact that they they finished with an incredible goal differential and they did all these incredible things over the course of the regular season. I'm still sometimes just left a little wanting, particularly in the playoffs. I am going to go with Philly in this game. I think they're going to have their best lineup this time. I think they're a worthy team of getting to the final. And I think they're actually going to come up against LAFC. Uh, I I think LAFC is going to get their their work done and end up hosting the final uh the marquee game of the week in mls was lafc la galaxy which was just a back and forth game and a a really fun game for neutrals like i had this habit or at least during this game i would just like openly laugh every time somebody scored (laughs) (laughs) because like it was it was just a real you know 
punching back and forth type of game between two teams that that really don't like each other that much. Um, and I, even like there was like intrigue and even like the halftime interview with Greg Vanny, I thought was like, he was kind of, I don't know, what was the best way to put it? Like very up on his team and the performance and kind of like, we've got this. And I like spicy halftime interviews like that. So I thought that was a good thing. Um, and, you know, like LA Galaxy did control large parts of, of the first half uh, in this game. And when LAFC got their first goal to go ahead 1-0, Luanga was fantastic in this game, by the way. Just much bigger impact than Gareth Bale has had since he got there. And I know he hasn't been there very long, but... Um, you know, kind of gets the first goal on one of their first chances. But then LA Galaxy just got the equalizer and, and you felt like this was anybody's game going into the second half and even toward the the rest of the game. Yeah, and, and the Galaxy, by virtue of their ability to create possession, by virtue of the quality of Ricky Pooch, can be in any game. But I think the things that they got right in the summer... I think only accentuated how much they've gotten things wrong in other areas at times. And I think a lot of that stuff comes to bear in a playoff game. And I understand that's harsh to say after they lost away at the Supporter Shield winners with what was essentially the last kick of the game. But I think in defense, they have real improvements to make. I, I just don't think they have enough. I, I think for, for one of the goals from, I want to say it was the, the, the first from Buwanga, it's Douglas Costa who gets beat. And Douglas Costa proved himself over the course of the season to not really be up to producing like a designated player or being a difference maker for LA Galaxy. And I think that was a mistake. Kevin Cabral, we've talked plenty about him and how much he hasn't provided uh, for LA Galaxy. And maybe he goes back to France uh, after after this season. But I, I do think that the Galaxy, if they gave Brugman and Pooch a little bit more support, that they could really be away here. And I wonder as well, now that they've gone out, in terms of their offseason, I know he's only been there for six months, but... They could probably cash in on Ricky Pooch if they wanted to and and sell him for a pretty decent figure back to Spain. You'd have to think that now he's proven himself to a high enough level where maybe there are Spanish clubs that want to come in for him again. And you have you have to think about that because ultimately, you know, the LA Galaxy, I know they want to win titles and every club in MLS wants to win titles, but also I think we've seen MLS clubs now enter the global soccer hierarchy and they understand that, okay, the, the LA Galaxy is not the highest level. And if we can get a bunch of money for him, we almost are sort of not obligated, but it's part of our life cycle as a club that we have to do that stuff. I don't know if they're going to do it. I would say that they should do it. Um, but I think that the Galaxy have improvements to make. As it relates to LAFC, another team that sometimes leaves me wanting. Um, mm. I know that they won the Supporter Brad. Shield. I know. I, I know that they won, us, I, I, they, they won the Supporter Shield. We don't know yet who they're playing in the Western Final. But um, I, I, I think... LAFC doesn't really control the game with the ball as much anymore. I think that's probably the thing that that sort of uh, leaves me wanting. And it's just a different style of play, but they obviously have so much talent. I mean, when you can bring Christian Teo and uh, Quadro Poku has been brilliant for them. They didn't even have Gareth Bale available in this game due to injury. Um, th there's so many things that they can do from a talent standpoint that's just so overwhelming from an MLS team that uh, they probably will get to the final. Um, but again, it, I, I didn't think it was a brilliant performance from them either. You know, what's interesting about camera angles. Did we ever see a good camera angle on that Ricky Pooch headbutt? Because I never saw one that actually showed whether he connected mm -hmm. like anything from like the side. And yeah. 
And so I, I kind of came away from it not knowing whether that should have been a red card as a result. Does it almost um, not matter? I mean, if you you lean forward, like it doesn't matter if he makes the attempt and whether he connects or not. So there's that too. Um, But a decision was clearly made because the referee was so close to it that he almost got hit by the headbutt. (laughs) (laughs) Like he saw it and it made a clear early in the game decision not to quote ruin the game. I don't like that. I don't like that. (laughs) And, and I don't know if we talked about this last weekend because we might not have heard of it, but I had heard that before Manchester Liverpool, Anthony Taylor, the referee, uh, went to both managers and said, hey, I'm going to let things go in this game. And I I don't like that. The rules are the rules. And I know that they leave some latitude for what exactly you want to give as a foul, what do you want to give as a yellow card, what you want to give as a red card, and you see referees establish tones in different ways. But for me, the laws are the laws. And if you lean forward and put your head towards an opponent in a headbutt motion, that is a red card. Whether it's a single elimination playoff game that a lot of people tuned into on FS1 and the league wants to grow and you don't want to ruin the occasion by by incorporating a red card, a red card is a red card is a red card. Whether it's in the playoffs or regular season game 18 away in Vancouver, that is a red card. And I don't like this notion of refereeing based on the occasion. I know that you hear some referees make arguments on behalf of it. And in the English game, we've heard this year, a lot of you know pundits like that they've let more contact go. I don't like that. It leads to players getting hurt. It leads to inconsistency in officiating. And it leads to us wondering, well, what is a foul? What is a yellow card? Like, what could Ricky Pooch have done there to get a red? He made contact and the player falls over. That's the only way that's a red? That's a red card. It's ridiculous. Don't ruin the game, Chris. You, like, I, I, I'm actually kidding on this. I think <laughs> like it very, it very likely should have been a red card, and I would have been okay if he had been sent off. It did become a good game, and he did have an impact on it. Um, and in the end, his team lost, and so he did not benefit from it. Um, so it'll be interesting. Uh, I'm looking forward to the rest of the MLS playoffs. We are recording this before the two MLS or NWSL semifinals on Sunday night. But next week, we will have a chance to talk about the NWSL final because we record Sunday. And that final is, I think, 8 p.m. Eastern on Saturday night on Big CBS. So good for the NWSL on that one. That is all, Chris. Thank you, as always. Thanks, Grant. Thanks for listening to Football with Grant Wall. I'd like to thank producer and pundit Chris Whittingham. You can now sign up for a free or paid subscription to my newsletter at grantwall.com. The best way to support my work is by taking out a paid subscription. See you next time.